0: How many bands this Sunday morning around the Southeastern Baptist Association played Can't You See? (laughs) Let's give Phil in the band a hand. And we finished with a flute. How many of them played? They all had flutes in in their orchestras, I'm confident. They weren't like that. So, it's cool to get up here twice in a row, because I get to thank my beautiful wife for the great job she did last week, and bring in the Word. So, Christine and I were talking backstage, and, you know, we're trying to decide. We may need to have a a meeting with the elders here in a little while after, after the service, and maybe it's Christine and Sierra preach for like a month or two, and just, I mean, where's Gary? Nobody even knows where Gary is. His dad's here and doesn't even know where Gary is. And they were together all day yesterday. Yeah, exactly, Gary who? I love that. So unfortunately, I have uh, I've gotten to preach several funerals. And I always have Psalms 23 in my, fu- in my message when I preach funeral. So it's been on my heart for about six or eight months to preach this message because Psalms 23 is not about the person who passed. It's about the people who are still here and God's promise. In my mind, kind of like Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction, where he he says he always goes through and he says Ezekiel 28-17 when he gets ready to kill somebody. So it's kind of like the same, right? But the truth is, if you read through Psalm 23, and we're going to do that in a minute, it's God's promise to us. It's God's promise to us about eternal life, about comfort, about restoration, and about Forever. So let me start with a story this morning, and y'all listen good to this story, because I'm going to get to the end, I'm going to tie it back in, and you're going to say, I'm not even sure how he's ever going to get this back tied back in, but y'all listen good to this. So Bubba Martin, he's driving his car, you know, Bubba's a good driver, he doesn't take many chances, he's driving his car, and he's... He's trying to pay attention and everything, and he's pulling up, and and this there's a there's a red light, and it turned yellow, and he could have accelerated, but instead he stopped. And so there's this lady behind him, who's tailgating a little bit. We'll call her Misty. And she's honking the horn, she's yelling, she's giving some sign language, and. Her phone's throws off in the floor. Her makeup's all in the floor. She's really yelling at him. I mean, she's just so in mid rant though. Police officer standing beside her door. Ma'am, can you get out of the car with your hands up? Misty gets out of the car. He immediately arrests her. Takes her back to the takes her back to the uh, station. Fingerprints her, takes her picture, all those things that you know some of us have experienced. <laughs> Puts her in the holding cell. She's in the holding cell for like three or four hours. She gets out of the holding cell. A police officer comes back there and says, "Ma'am, could you come with us?" So she comes with she comes with him and. The police officer that arrested her was standing there with all of her stuff and said, here, ma'am, here's your personal effects. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, based on the uh, the come-to-action church bumper sticker, the what-would-Jesus-do sticker on the side of her car, and the pro-life license tag thing, he said, I was confused. I didn't think you were a Christian. I couldn't believe somebody would act like that. So... I figured you had stole the car. But it comes out that she didn't steal the car. So now the question is, how do I tie Psalms 23 into that story? Or did I just want to make fun of Bubba and, and Misty this morning? So let's read Psalms 23. So as Gary would say, I chose the English Standard Version because I think it speaks in plain, clear English. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Like I said, the psalmist, when they wrote this, it was for the people sitting in the audience. It wasn't for the bodies laying up here was for the people sitting in the audience. So let's let's talk about a couple of things. So the first point today is the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Think about that. I shall not want. It doesn't say you may not want, you kind of sort of don't want. There's no ifs ands or buts about it. It says I Shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Can you imagine a world or life in which you shall not want? A world where you have everything that you want. Now don't forget, God's word promises certain needs. He's going to give you oxygen. He's going to let you breathe. You earn a place to live. There's plenty of food on the earth. I think we may have messed up the food chain there, but there's plenty of food on the earth. So he gave you plenty of food to eat. And I realized when I was preparing for this that sometimes we don't talk about it much. And Sierra and I kind of thought about talking about it last week. But I want want to say something to everybody right now. this whole passage is about salvation. And if there's anybody here that doesn't understand that or is not sure or don't know where they're going when they do lay up here in a casket, I'm here, Sierra's here, and Abub and Misty are here, Christine's here, there's Doug and Kathy are here, there's lots of people here. Today, tomorrow, next week, would love the honor and the privilege to talking to you all about that gift. Because that is the gift. That's what God came here for. That's what Jesus got here for. For us. To save our souls. To take care of our sins. To protect us. And to make sure that when we get to that last verse where it says forever, we're there forever. So I realize we're not at the end of the sermon yet, but I it just, for whatever reason, and like I said, Sierra and I talked about doing it last week, it's been on my heart to just say that, because I don't know. I don't know, you know, as you as you stand up here or you walk around out there, you're not sure where everybody is, and you're not sure if somebody needs to know that or hear that. You're not sure what people think, what they do. Um, this is Action Church. We do take action, and that's what we're here for. So the next point is restoration. And this is a very important, 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 important part. I want you all, all to think about what I'm saying. I want you to feel this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. I don't know what you all think of when you think of lie down in green pastures or leads me beside still waters. David Westrick thinks of laying on a boat dock in the middle of a lake early in the morning when you look out on the water and it's perfectly still. Or that evening, right before the sun goes down, you lay out there and the water's perfectly still. That is that still water. At least it is for me. Sierra tells a story one time that, uh, I think she was in San Francisco. She's out west somewhere. She laid down in a pasture and wept because she was being still. That's where restoration comes from. So how many of us understand that part? How many of us think about that part? You know, in the word it says to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's a calm that brings that that. There's a calm that that brings that helps you to steal still your body. That's a hard word to say. So, like I said, at Action Church, we take all kinds. We're involved in all kinds of stuff. And we we take restoration. We take that word and we make it more than most. We have N.A., we have A.A., we have a a food pantry. We'll provide pretty much anything for anybody if they need it. So that restoration as a church is very important to us. That's not the restoration we're talking about. Restoration we're talking about today is our restoration. How do we get restored? How do we live and how do we lie beside still waters? So a couple of thoughts as I was thinking through this, a couple of thoughts I came up with. So in Matthew eleven twenty eight, the word says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. So God's word in Matthew clearly says, I will give you rest. I need, you need rest. I will give you rest. Now it also says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. So if all you do is lay around on the couch, I don't know if you deserve the rest, but I mean, I'm pretty sure God wants you to have rest too. So how does God restore your souls? What does he do? What do you do to find that rest? Where do you go to reset and to realign? Is it in the morning? Is it in the morning when you get up? Do you sit down? Do you take time with God in the morning and read? you just sit there? You know, sitting at your breakfast table in the morning with a cup of coffee, just you, that's a good time to rest. Are you reading scripture on your lunch break? I don't have my phone. My phone's back there. Everybody has a phone. You ver uh uh version. There's a Bible app on there, there's all kinds of plans on there. Are you reading, are you reading verses? Are you being quiet? Are you and y'all can rest assured it's it's easier for all of you than it is for me to be quiet, I can assure you of this. <laughs> But how are you getting your stillness? How are you sitting? How are you lying? How are you whatever? Sierra and I had the privilege of seeing a guy named Kit Cum- uh, Kit Cummings the other day, and he said that he prays. His first thing he does, he gets out. He doesn't even get out of bed. He kind of slides out of bed, gets on his knees, and he prays to start his day with the Lord. Now it was funny what he said. He said. Sometimes all I pray is, God, I got to pee. Can you please let me get up so I can go pee? (laughs) But that's how he starts his morning. This works for me, doesn't necessarily work for everybody else. I can easily be in a crowd with a thousand people and still be still. I can be at a dinner table with my kids, my grandkids, and still be still, still here. So my encouragement to you today is to figure out that stillness, that stillness in your life. Some people, I'm not sure who here, but some people like to run. (laughs) Some people like to bike. There's nothing better for me than to get on my Harley I know that's not the kind of biking they're talking. I was talking about, but anyway, get on my Harley, turn the music off, and just ride down the road. There's stillness there. Is it in listening to music? Can you listen to music and be still? Perhaps. And did you see how many people we had in the band today? Perhaps it's singing or playing in your church. Man, I don't know if Phil wants anybody I don't know if he wants any of y'all or not, but he may. Or is it something entirely different? The key is, is what is it? This microphone is killing me. Sorry, Xander, I got off the red carpet again. The most important thing is to understand that God designed each one of us uniquely. And we all know What that thing is. You can rest assured there's very few people that are busier than Sierra and I. But amid that busyness, we have to find that rest, that restoration. Each of us was designed to find that rest. Proven medical fact that rest helps your body restore. So I encourage each of you to start to think about that, and I know you already probably have in your head. As as I'm standing here talking, you've already started to think, how do I find that rest? How do I find that part that David's talking about? Two things that I would encourage you to do. Because a lot of you have thought about it right now. I remember hearing Kit, Cunning, Kit Cummings talk about things. And I remember in my head, God, that's a great idea. I want to do that. So I heard him about three weeks ago, and I haven't done a single thing that I thought was a great idea. Nothing. Actually, that's not true. I bought the. He he ha, He has a book that he keeps in his pocket. And he talks about he writes down those that are important to him. Why why? Why am I here? Prayer request. I can't remember what the third one was, but he so I had the book. I have the book. It's laying on my it's laying in in my in my uh, in the bathroom where I get ready. It's laying there. Nothing written in it. Haven't even thought about it. Restoration, this rest. You've thought about it. You understand that you need to do it. In your head, you've already said, I need to do that. I encourage you to do it. Psalms 46:10, it says, Be still, be still, and know I am God. Like I said, restoration comes from the stillness. And we all need to be restored for whatever reason. Who knows what's going on in your life? Who knows where you're at? Who knows what's happening? You know. God knows. But you know you need to be restored. You need that rest. You need that time of of relaxing. So, As the word said, lie beside still waters. So I encourage you all to figure out how to lie besides still waters. Phil asked me how long I was going to go today. I said, you know, I don't know. But my third point is <laughs> the part that I emphasized in the beginning forever. So let's unpack these last two verses. To me, it still shows that the Lord is your host. What it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the the Lord forever. You know, in Amazing Grace, it talks about 10,000 years. I mean, your life on, on earth is like a blink. 10,000 years. Now, Doug's probably close to that, but everybody else is probably not. So, 10,000 years. These verses still talk about the shepherd, the Lord, and it still talks about the sheep, us. But look at what it says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I believe this is describing the faithful, us, and how the faithful are a guest at God's table. First of all, just think about that. Don't think about anything else I said. Think about that. Think about being a guest at God's table. Obviously, the enemy in there is Satan. But in what form? In what form is Satan your enemy? Is it the person that lives in your neighborhood that you just can't stand and you don't want to be around? Is it the countries that the United States are in war with? Is it, uh, you know, Misty driving too close to Bubba? You know, what is it? What? Is, who is your enemy? How? How is? What? Is, what? How does that enemy manifest in your life? There's one big problem. With the enemies. And it's kind of like when Gary says, you know, be careful, the words, you know, very clear. So it says in Luke 3 and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So. Think about it, we all have those enemies, whatever they are. Maybe we drink too much, maybe we eat too much. I obviously eat too much. Maybe we do something, maybe someone's against us. And here's the part that's going to really suck, because this fits me more than it does a lot of you, I'm confident. It says in Matthew five, forty four, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. you now how bad that sucks. I mean, really. Sierra would tell you that uh, sometimes I may have road rage. Sierra would also tell you that sometimes I do not speak nice of people that I don't like. But the word says, but I say to you, and unfortunately, and I didn't look, but I'm pretty sure these are words written in red, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How many of us have been persecuted in one way or the other? I mean, how many of us have, have got an enemy that they can think of right now? God, I hate that person. I hate that person so bad. I don't have have this in my my notes, but I do want to tell you this. So here's another interesting saying, and I'm not like Gary. I can't quote the exact verse where it is. But the word says to pray for your leaders too. So depending on what your political view is right now, how many of us think that our leaders possibly are enemies? Love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. That was just extra. But, but it's so important. That part is so important. So in James 4, 4, it says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is in enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. An enemy of God. Don't you see that? Can you imagine how much better things would be We loved our enemies. I talk about it all the time. I talk about people needing to get to a place in their life. And it's different now than it was when I was a kid. But people need to, we need to, the world needs to get to a place where we can talk. and Have communication. That's how you get to the restoration. That's how you get to the other parts of this. So how different would the world look if we treated our enemies like the Word tells us to? These verses speak of God's tremendous generosity and kindness. Most important part that the Word speaks about Is unearned generosity and kindness. Because I hope everybody understands we didn't earn it. It was a gift given to us. Jesus incarnate came down here. He was like this one time. That's what it was all about, that's why he was here because we didn't deserve it, and he took it. There's nothing any of us can do to deserve it. So maybe the overflowing part is an example of what God wants from us. He wants us to be giving and loving of others with an overflowing heart. I hope y'all caught that sarcasm, <laughs> but that's what it says. He's giving us overflowing. What are we doing in return for our overflowing? I agree we didn't deserve it, but what are we doing in return for our overflowing? Are we doing anything for our overflowing? So let me close with this. Psalms 23 is a statement of faith. It could easily be the creed, if you will, or the list, or the words that we should identify as, as Christians. So let me get back to Bub and Misty. I'm pretty sure at Action Church, there aren't a whole lot of what would Jesus do stickers on the back of cards out there. But isn't that supposed to be our creed? Isn't that supposed to be our creed as Christians? Aren't we supposed to be the salt and the light? Aren't we supposed to be the difference? Aren't we supposed to be what everybody looks for? Better yet, aren't we supposed to be the person at work that somebody comes up and says, Hey, I notice you're different. Can you tell me about that difference? Can you tell me about that? Can you tell me about being different? I remember a long time ago, it was the first time that happened to me, and what a blessing that was for somebody to walk up and say, hey, you're different. Not different in a weird way. People say me that all the time. (laughs) You're different. I want to know what, I want to hear about this, this Jesus dude. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's everything we're supposed to be about. So here's the challenge I have for you. We know who the shepherd is. How are we going to get restored? Where are you going to spend forever? The thing about this, you're leaving the parking lot, there's a red light right there. There's a cop behind you. Would he convict you for being a Christian, Or would you have to go sit next to Misty in jail? Let's pray.